When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Kings fans? If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford, feeds it right side to Foley with a shot. Save, rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL. And what's up, Kings fans, and welcome to episode number 20 of the Hockey Royalty Podcast, the unofficial podcast of rinkroyalty.com. I'm Scott Kinville, and as always, we want to let you guys know that you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, I'm at rinkroyalty, and also at royalty underscore pod, and you can now find us on Facebook at the Hockey Royalty Podcast. We got a great show lined up for you tonight, but first of all, I want to bring in my partners in crime, so to speak. First of all, I want to bring in... Uh, our fearless leader, if you will, the one and the only, Mr. Ryan Sykes. What's happening, Ryan? Hey, Scott. I'm doing well tonight. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Feeling pretty good tonight. Uh, you know, we got the last home game of the Kings season, but uh, let's see how they do. Yep. We'll see. All right. And up next, coming to us from Rink Royalty as well, another one of our colleagues, the one, the only, you wish you could be like him, but you can't, Mr. Jack <laughs> Weber. What's happening, Jack? <laughs> Hey, I'm doing uh, pretty well, Scott. You know, got a got my first shot today, and you know those are like gold up here in Canada, and it's pretty pretty rare to get right now. So, uh, <laughs> not feeling any crazy side effects, so no complaints. Well, that's because you are the man of steel as far as hockey writers go. That's right. <laughs> All right, and next, I want to bring in our guest. Uh, we, this is a real treat to have him on tonight. Uh, he's actually from the Hockey Sense podcast, and he also runs Hockey Sense. It's Mr. Chris Peters. What's happening, Chris? Not much, guys. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. 
So, uh, so what's going on? Anything? <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just, yeah, I just got back from the world under 18 championship, um, which was awesome, uh, in Frisco, Texas and was doing the broadcasting there and also covering it for, for hockey sense, uh, my new sub stack and, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a wild couple of weeks. I got home on uh, Friday and it's just been nice to be able to, to be home again and also to, uh, you know, fully vaccinated. So I was able to travel kind of guilt-free and safe, you know, confidently. Um, and that was the first, you know, second major event that I traveled by plane to this season with frozen four being the other. So, yeah, so I'm just kind of getting back into my normal routine now after, you know, two weeks away in, in Texas, uh, where, where, where it was great hockey and great weather too. Yeah. And Chris, I know we kind of want to touch on the U18s and also the frozen four with you. Um, but just kind of, I want to get a sense for your background. You know, I know, I know that you were writing for ESPN at one point, like kind of, um, tell us how you, uh, the path to becoming an ESPN writer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's, you know, certainly it was a dream job and I felt really lucky to have been there, but, um, my path was a winding one and it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's always winding. I mean, I've never, I've never been in one one spot for very long, um, which is fine. It's a, you know, usually not my choice <laughs> that, that it happens that way as it was with ESPN to not be there anymore. But, but yeah, but I mean, I think that, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I was, it kind of all started back at Iowa state where I went to school and I worked for the, the hockey team there that played in the ACHA. So, you know, most people would call it club. We could try to run our team by, you know, pretty high standards and everything. And so I did a bunch of stuff for them. And uh, my last year there, I ended up as like, I'm going to just completely dedicate myself and do everything I possibly can for this team. And then also with the hopes of getting the Brian Fishman internship at USA hockey, which is like in their PR department. And it's a really tough internship to get, but it's um, kind of a golden ticket if you get it. Uh so most of, most of the people that had worked there either went to college communications or, you know, some of them went straight to the NHL and that's what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, so I was there, I got, I got the internship. I felt really lucky. I got that was there, worked for USA hockey for three years. Um, so one as an intern and two as a full-time employee. And then we, my wife got a new job in Iowa. And so that was it <laughs> for that <laughs> job. So, yeah, so I started, I actually started my own blog called United States of Hockey. Um, back in the day, I just a WordPress blog that I was doing all sorts of stuff like covering U.S. national teams, world juniors, prospects, just stuff like that. And then uh, CBS Sports really liked my draft coverage and asked if I wanted to do it for them. And so I did it for them uh, for a part-time basis for a bit. And then, I, you know, they kind of had a shift there. So I, I ended up getting uh, NHL you know, becoming an NHL staff writer for them. I covered the NHL for, for four years for CBS sports and two is a full-time two is part-time two is full-time, um, which was unreal uh, and a lot of work. And it was back in the day when, you know, a lot of people, there's, you know, basically blogs and everybody was kind of doing the uh, aggregation and things like that. And I, I didn't love doing that, but I, I also was like, Hey, I'm writing about the NHL. I got to cover a couple Stanley cup finals live. Um, you know, I grew up in Chicago and I, I was there for the, you know, the 2015 Stanley cup final and, you know, the Blackhawks ended up winning the Stanley cup on home ice that year. And so, you know, knowing that I had like friends and family in the crowd at the game that had bought tickets and I was there working the game was pretty cool. Um, so that was a great job. But then that, 
that, you know, as all things do ended, um, you know, they, they didn't renew my contract and that seemed to be kind of the theme there for a while where they, you know, hire somebody to do hockey, they'd be there for two years and then they'd be gone. Um, and so that's kind of what happened to me. Um, and, and so, so I, I was like, well, I think that's it. I think, you know, this is good. I'm, I'm going to try something else. And so Ryan, yeah. I worked for the university of Iowa. Oh, for there you go. Ten, uh, <laughs> Um, I, I was in their college communications office, not even sports, uh, just doing stuff for the school. And, um, Corey Promen messaged me and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving ESPN. I was like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, uh, and he's like, well, I'm going to go to the athletic when this was at the time when it was still pretty new. Um, Mm -hmm. and Craig Custance had, gotten him to come, which actually I thought was a great hire at the time, you know, trying to build a subscriber base with people that had proven to sell subscriptions. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. And he's like, I think ESPN is going to call you. It's like, really? Why? <laughs> um, I'm not a hockey, you know, so I think I'm done. And yeah, so just when, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I got, I got, I went and interviewed in Bristol and, and they're like, you know, we think you can do this. And I, I was a part-time again for them for a while and then got put on contract a year later and I was there for two years under contract. So I got three years at ESPN covering the NHL, the NHL draft and prospects, which is, I mean, an incredible opportunity and a dream. And it's everything like, you know, I, I had no desire to not be there, but you know, they had, they had those massive cuts at the beginning of the pandemic and, they had let me know that, you know, my contract was going to be part of that. And so I could work as long, you know, as long as the contract was up, I could have left too, but I decided, no, I'm just going to finish strong and, and stay there. So, yeah. But I mean, like it, that's the winding path. I mean, there's really, I always tell like students and anybody that I talk to, it's like, there's no right way to get to your, wherever you want to be. I just knew that I always wanted to write about hockey. I, and it, even, even if it wasn't about writing about hockey, I just wanted to be involved in hockey. And I think, I was so burnt out after CBS that I was like, ah, screw it. You know, like I'm done with hockey. It's, it's done. And then I, I left and then I was like, Oh, I miss it. I miss it a lot. <laughs> and then I yeah. got the job at ESPN. I was like, Oh, I really, and that was covering it at a completely different level. That was traveling to all over the world in Canada and just like doing, you know, having a, having a budget to do really remarkable things. Um, you know, getting the chance to write about the, the Hughes family for ESPN, the magazine, my first year there was like, like still a career highlight to be able to introduce the country to, you know, uh, three boys that I think are going to have a pretty substantial impact on American hockey. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it was a dream and, you know, it's that it always takes a while to tell my story to get to ESPN because it took so long to get there, but really from start to finish, it was like 12 years. So, it, you know, in a career, career grand scheme of things, that's not that long. So uh, it was really fun to do it. Yeah, and yeah, just, just sorry, Scott. Just uh, for our listeners, uh, before we joined here, um, I saw that uh, Chris was wearing an Iowa State shirt, and I went to the University of Iowa, so we already have a little rivalry going. Um, yeah, and you noted something too, Chris. Um, I do. I live in Chicago. Um, I actually went to the 2015 Stanley Cup parade. Um, I don't know if you remember that year. Uh, the The mayor of Chicago held the parade at Soldier Field. I rally. do remember that. Yep. <laughs> um, because Grant Park was flooded and he had the brilliant idea to put um, first come first serve tickets on Ticketmaster. 
and naturally the site crashed. <laughs> uh, I, I ended up still getting uh, passes from a friend, but it was just kind of an interesting, um, I don't know, <laughs> idea yeah. to put it all up there for one of the most popular fan bases. <laughs> yeah, it was that I remember that that was like kind of a kind of crazy. And it's just, you know, and I grew up with the bulls and everything. And so like, it seemed like Grant Park was the only place you could have a celebration of that size. And I grew up a White Sox fan too. And then they had the, the ticker tape parade, like right down downtown and everybody was packed in downtown. That was, that was pretty cool too. Like right by the board of trade um, and uh, just stuff coming off the roofs and stuff. Yeah. But Chicago knows how to throw a party. They didn't know they didn't throw a great one that year in, in Soldier Field, but it was still <laughs> still pretty cool. Yeah, and just uh, transitioning then to uh, Hockey Sense, which is obviously the Substack that you uh, started after ESPN. I guess what made you want to kind of go back to the solo venture, and did you have any other leads prior to that? I did. I did. I had a few a few options, um, you know, and it was it. Some of it was full time, most of it wasn't. Um, but, you know, like it was just kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, I just I, I don't know what it was. I don't know, really know what at what point it kind of took a hold. But, I, you know, I started making some calls about people that had done the Substack route. And one of them was Craig Morgan, who does the Coyotes Insider for Substack, he used to work for the Athletic. You know, similarly, he lost his job and then he gets, you know, starts his own Substack and he's doing phenomenally well. It's actually one of the most popular um one of the most popular sub stacks in sports right now. And so that's a really credit to the work that Craig does on the coyotes. And, um, you know, so I talked to him, I talked to a buddy that, that does a, a Vikings um, sub stack as well that worked Matt Collar, who worked with me at ESPN as a, he was a freelancer when I was there. And, um, you know, they had had such great things to say about it. I was like, you know what, you know, prospect content is, is what it is. You know, you can get it anywhere. I'll see how many people want to get it from me. Um, and just uh, part of the reason that I wanted to do go solo is because I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of have the flexibility to do whatever I wanted and, and mm -hmm. to do, to set the editorial tone, to set, you know, the length, you know, just doing things where I don't need like thousands of subscribers to be successful. I need a few hundred and, and I, you know, I'm starting to get there. So it's kind of, it's really nice that, you know, people have signed on. It's allowed me to, you know, pay expenses for some travel. And, you know, luckily I got other opportunities, but then, I mean, the real benefit kind of popped up with this under 18 worlds. I did the color commentary for, for hockey TV, which is not something I would have been able to do probably. I mean, I, I, maybe I could have, but I probably wouldn't have been able to do that if I was still at ESPN. So, you know, I, I got it. I was actually the broadcaster at Iowa state. Like I would do the play-by-play -play for the hockey team in a very early primitive streaming service um that didn't have video it was all over i actually called the games into a telephone that then went to <laughs> called into like a switchboard and then went so i was i was literally i just had like a headset like i was a telemarketer it wasn't even like a pro broadcasting headset and i bought the phone at walmart um and and that's how we got our games to the parents essentially that's really the only people that i was broadcasting to but it was fun i loved it so so to be able to go back and do that um, was amazing. That was that, that was so much fun. I didn't realize how much I missed broadcasting until I did that. And so doing color for all USA games and all games that were in the Frisco arena. So I did the gold medal game and all that stuff. 
um, was really fun. And so that's another reason why I did it so that I could have the flexibility. And I do freelance stuff on the side still too, just to kind of help, you know, supplement what I'm doing. But, you know, I've had great support so far from the hockey sense subscribers. I've been able to do the podcast as well. That was another big, big reason was to, to do the talking hockey sense podcast. And I didn't do an episode last week, so I feel really guilty, but I'll do one this week. And, um, you know, but it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's been really fun to be on my own again. Cause that's kind of how I started in the business too. And, you know, if something else pops up, then that's great. Um, if not, that's fine too. I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. Well, maybe you could just upload ours to your site and that'll count. Yeah. That'll count. Yeah. I'll just put it right into the stream. Here you go, guys. Yeah. No, uh, I, I think that's awesome that, uh, you kind of just want to lead your own effort. And, um, I was going to ask you too about the color commentary later, but, um, just real quick on it. I mean, what was your favorite besides the gold medal game? What was your favorite game to call? Um, uh, probably the first, uh, the first game between USA and Russia. That was unbelievable. So USA gets out to a five, one lead. Um, and, and they, you know, they seem pretty much in control. And I had like even said that. And then I backtracked immediately <laughs> because like, wait a second, this is Russia yeah. and there's way too much time on the board. And so sure enough, like seconds later, I think Russia scored their second goal of the game. And then it was just an avalanche. And then it went all the way to overtime. And even though like, you know, I was there like, you know, calling games, the U S we, we had like a U.S. bent. It wasn't, I, you know, I don't think it was like outright homerism or anything like that, but it was more, you know, certainly calling it for the American audience. Um, and to even even though it was a loss for the U.S., it was just this incredible comeback. And the Russians had so many players that made so many big plays in key moments. And you kind of wonder if they would have had the right goalie in, if, if Russia had the right goalie in to start, because the guy that they started in that game never played another second after he gave up five, four goals to, oh, to wow. the U.S. Um, you know, so they, yeah, so you wonder what would have happened. But <laughs> to call a comeback like that, to see it, and just to be there and, and then, Russia won in, won in overtime and there was great energy in the building too. They had about 1400 fans, which is all they could allow due to COVID restrictions. Um, and, you know, even though Texas is wide open, the double IHF is like, we can't have like a full building here for this event. And, and it would have been full if, if not, I mean, they, they, there were people trying to get tickets to those games. So it was cool to be in a building with fans again. It was cool to have a, such a, an incredible comeback, but that and the gold medal game were probably two of my favorites, but we, we actually called a ton of comebacks. There was a great Russia Finland game. Uh, USA Finland was insane. There was a, a late goal there to tie that one. So we, we had just, we were just spoiled with great games almost throughout the entire time we were there. Hey, Chris, uh, watching that tournament, are you as high on Connor Bedard as everyone else is, or. I don't know if I could, I mean, I, if there's a if there's a higher level I could get to, <laughs> I mean, basically. So I I when he came to the WHL, I just made a point to, and I, I wrote about it on Hockey Sense too. To just I watched his first four games, every shift that he played in his first four games of of his WHL season, and um, you know I have this program in stat that a lot of NHL teams use as well, where I'm just able to kind of pinpoint you know his his shifts and everything. And I'm watching these shifts. And I'm like, how is this kid 15? He doesn't look 15. And, you know, I was at the world under 18s a few years, you know, 2013 when Connor McDavid was 15 and in that tournament. And I was like, oh, my God, like I'm seeing he's not as fast as McDavid, but he shoots like Matthews right now. 
Like it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable the way the kid shoots the puck. And so he's, you know, he's basically averaging two points a game. His first, you know, first four WHL games. I think he only was held off the score sheet in one game. And then he comes into this tournament and he just blows everything out of the water. Like just, I mean, you know, he started a little slow and he was kind of up and down the lineup, but then all of a sudden his confidence grew and he was basically a top six winger. He's, you know, can be a center or whatever. So he'll, he'll be fine, but he's, he was a wing. He was basically playing on the wing in this tournament and he ended up scoring 14 points. This is the exact amount of points that Connor McDavid scored in his, in his year. And, and McDavid didn't score any points in the semifinal or final. I'm pretty sure in his, in his year that he was there. So I mean, basically, Bedard's impact was insane. But, I mean, he shoots the puck better than most NHL players right now, which is not an exaggeration. He scored so – like, the, the goal that he scored in the gold medal game was on his backhand, and there are guys that can't shoot it that hard on their forehand. So yeah. it's it's amazing what he's able to do. His skill level is off the charts. He was he, he made some incredible zone entries where he just dangled the defenseman and just, you know, backed him off just with his puck skills instead because he doesn't have that McDavid speed. But I mean, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid. I think that he's, you know, even though Mitchkov scored 12 goals in the tournament, the Russian that's the same draft year as him. I, I mean, I think Bedard is at a completely different level than them, and probably even Shane Wright, who will go number one next year. So it's it's a it's an it's an incredible. We're we're in we're, these next two drafts, not this one so much, but the next two drafts are going to be really special. Yeah, well, maybe uh, the Kings are bad for a couple more years, you know. <laughs> that would be the worst thing in the world. Oh, no, it would, Jack. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. Let's not wish that. <laughs> uh, Chris, just real quick, wrapping up kind of the hockey sense portion before yeah. I kind of pass it off. I just wanted to get your kind of like instant reaction on uh, when you saw the ESPN Plus deal come through with the NHL. Yeah, so, I mean, my my instant reaction was kind of like, oh, man, I could have been there for that. That's, you know, like that was, that was the initial reaction. However, the, you know, like I was, cause that's all we talked about for the last three years is like, if, if we get the rights, everything's going to change for the NHL at ESPN. Um, you know, cause I mean, and I think, I think they treated us great. Like, I mean, we, we had, you know, plenty of, of coverage, but it's like, if they don't have the rights, it's not a priority sport. And we always knew that. So we, constantly we're trying to find ways to to tell stories that would end up on the front page and and all those different things and you know our draft coverage in the last draft was off the charts good like in terms of numbers and everything like we were we had you know one of the great you know victories of the pandemic essentially of of having our draft coverage really blow up for for one that none of us were at you know like we were all remote so that was pretty cool um but yeah so but then I just kind of thought about, okay, given all the institutional knowledge that I have about the way that ESPN does things, there's no way this isn't a humongous win for the NHL. Like it, on top of the financial gains, the marketing gains, the social gains, the, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, people, it doesn't matter if it's not leading sports center every night anymore, but it, it matters if the games are on TV. And, and so, you know, and the fact is, is that they have deep pockets, you know, they apparently went after Gretzky for, for the analyst uh, and analyst job didn't, get, didn't work. You know, there's a report today in the New York post that Ray Ferraro is going to be the lead game analyst, which mm-hmm. is an incredible, I mean, he's the best in game analyst period. I mean, anywhere he's the best in the game. You, if, you know, usually the Americans, we only get to see him a few times a year or we get to see him at the world juniors sometimes. 
and it's it you know his 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 honesty and his and his bite and then his all you know just his his knowledge of the game is um is outstanding so i think that's a huge win for them and then there are people at at espn that love hockey you know and it doesn't always show it now but those people are now going to be able to ch- get a chance to kind of spread their wings i mean like some of the producers on sports center i was talking to like they're like yeah my i'm a youth hockey coach my kid you know my kids play they're all in connecticut so they all you know they're all doing activities winter activities and stuff and a lot of them play hockey and you know there's obviously bucci and linda Cohn and and barry melrose will still be there and um, you know, and, and Levy is probably going to be involved, which is awesome because he's you know one of the voices of, of our childhood. I'd love to see him do the Gary Thorne thing and <laughs> really bring the like just send my ears right back to 1995. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a huge win for the for the league, and then I think it's a, a huge win for hockey fans because the games are going to be more accessible. I think getting both ESPN and Turner is insane. I mean, the like TNT's reach is so much greater than NBC sports sports networks was um, just, so just having accessibility to those games. And I really think the digital packages on both, you know, I think ESPN plus has really put together an outstanding product. Um, you know, so, I, and it, like, I don't work there anymore, so I don't have to do this. I'm just saying it, that, that I think that what they've created with plus with um, everything that you get for the amount of money that you have to spend. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous how good the value is. So, um, but I did, I was appreciative of all the people that said that they was like, yep, I'm, I'm canceling ESPN plus they got rid of you. I'm canceling ESPN. Plus. I was like, thank you. Yeah. That's very nice of you. I mean, don't deprive yourself of the content that you would like to, to enjoy on my behalf, but that was very nice of them. So it made me feel good at the time, but, uh, but yeah, but I, I really do think that they're going to do a really good job with it. And I can't see how it's anything but a positive for the league. I do wonder if they'll kind of up the price. You know, they got the um, they got the <laughs> yeah. MMA deal for the paper pay per view stuff, right? Um, I have the NHL TV. Uh, obviously, living in Chicago to watch all the Kings games, um, I, but I would assume that they're going to have some sort of either increase in monthly uh, rate or uh, similar to the NHL TV. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, like logistically, in terms of if you get ESPN Plus, do you automatically get NHL TV? I, I, I imagine it's. I think when they did the MLB.TV, because they did that the first year, I'm pretty sure that was a separate cost. Um, yeah. So, I mean, more than likely, yeah, it'll end up being you. You may be paying similarly to what you are now, but you know, there's a game even even without having the rights. There was if you had ESPN Plus, there was a there was at least one NHL game on almost every single night. I think there were maybe like five nights in the season where there wasn't a game. And that was a great way for people that didn't want to get NHL.TV to get, to get out of market games that were pretty compelling. I mean, they ended up having some of the games that, you know, they had a lot of Canadian games on. So if you're in the U S you're not getting the games on the national. So I think there was, that was cool. They also did the, you know, they got TSN in for trade center. They did that the last few years. So I, you know, and I do think they'll engage TSN in some way, but ESPN is very much going to be standing alone in terms of their, their content for hockey. So I, I, I think it'll be, and I wouldn't be surprised if the price does go up, but at the same time, I think it'll be worth what you're paying because of everything that it offers. 
Oh, no doubt about it. It's a, it's a great value. But I got to say something, you know, listen to you two Chicago guys talking about parades earlier. Now, <laughs> all I can picture is the Ferris Bueller's Day Off Parade. So <laughs> it was a pretty good. See, good. Yeah. Chicago throws a good party. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, Chris, I just want to get your thoughts on the, uh, the NCAA Frozen Four, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was that was uh that was crazy. I mean, you know, we had a great game between Minnesota Duluth and UMass in the semis, and then the other two games were kind of duds. Uh, you know, St. Cloud State did, did had their way with uh with Minnesota State. Well, it wasn't it wasn't a huge dud, but it was it was you know, it was it was close and then that St. Cloud State really earned that victory. Uh yeah, I mean, that game that game had a pretty thrilling finish. Uh there's just a lot of goals and um and then the the final wasn't much to write home about, but UMass, I mean, is an incredible team. Just, I mean, amazing what they did. Um, you know that that whole thing, Pittsburgh. You know, have, as as a site was really good in terms of, you know, keeping the COVID protocols and all that other stuff. You know, they had a decent decent amount of fans in there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the it was just nice to have it. Period. You know, I, I had just booked my flight for Detroit for last year, right. When ESPN like called us all and said, Hey, we're not traveling anywhere for the foreseeable future. Um, and then like, you know, we, within a week, the frozen four was canceled. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, unfortunately the tournament kind of was hampered by multiple teams having to pull out due to positive tests. We had Notre Dame pull out, um, Michigan had to pull out the day of their first game. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, even St. Lawrence could not go, um, because of positive tests. And so, you know, that, that hurt it, you know, I think that hurt the, the tournament as a whole, but you know, what we saw is, you know, the importance of, of, of building a culture and a team. And I think that's what UMass did. You know, I think Greg Carvel Carvel has done a phenomenal job there. Um, you know, they have a lot of high end prospects. They've got more coming next year. They're gonna have a really good team still, um, I think Kale McCarr has kind of changed the idea of like, you know, UMass is an afterthought. It's more UMass is a place where they can develop elite defensemen. And we, we see, saw that with Zach Jones, who just signed with New York and Matthew Kessel decided to stay for another year. And they're going to bring in a couple of guys next year in Ryan Ufko and, and Scott Morrow, who could be top three round picks um, in the NHL draft this year. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was a great, great event, really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously a tough exit for, for um for LA but you know or for not for LA for Hrenick and uh Rennick and uh and St. Cloud. Yeah and yeah. UMass develops pretty good goalies too, right? And Jonathan Quick. Yeah Jonathan <laughs> Quick and then Philip Lindbergh just set the record for shutouts in a in a NCAA tournament career. So I mean it's just it's remarkable what they've done. Did Hrenick being able to do what he did surprise you at all? Um not really. I mean I'll be like Frank. I don't think he's a pro prospect. Um, you know, his numbers are what they are. I think we saw in the final, like, I, I think the thing was, is that Rennick is always good for a couple of just standout performances and gives you, you know, he's a competitive goalie. Um, I just don't think there's enough consistency there to say, you know, that he's going to be a pro. Um you know, I, right. I think that, you know, I think that the, the fact is, is that, you know, I don't, I don't foresee him signing a contract. Um, and, and as a result, like, but I mean, you know, to get your team to a championship, to get, to give yourself a chance like that, 
he certainly didn't hurt them. I mean, the last game he wasn't very good, but I mean, UMass was also very good. So, you know, like that's the, it's, it's hard, but, but, you know, I think that over the course of he's played so much hockey, like, I mean, I think that's a huge thing is that he's played over four years. He's got, he's given himself a chance, but I think that, you know, this year in particular, you could say, you know, I think sometimes the team was able to win in spite of him. And there were other times where he really did help them. Um, But yeah. So, I mean, I, but I, but I had seen him do that before and like, you know, he can get hot at times and um, have big games. And so, you know, goalies at that level should be able to do that. And, and he's at least able to do that. But I just think that yeah, it's, it, it was a tough finish for him, but I think o- overall he, he should be proud of what he did at St. Cloud. And I mean, he has the option to return if he wants to, because they have the extra COVID year. So if he, mm-hmm. That's right. he could go back, so, you know, that doesn't, you know, I, I just, yeah, I don't know that he goes back and suddenly is, you know, in his fifth NCAA season and an NHL prospect. Right. Cause I mean, actually he's just one of those, it's either all or nothing type of player. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think, I don't think you can be that anywhere beyond, you know, junior in college essentially. Right. Right. So another Kings prospect that's uh, in the NCAA right now is uh, Brock Faber defenseman for uh, university of Minnesota. And I will tell you that from a, a Kings perspective, there's a lot of us that are getting pretty excited about this guy. What do you think about him? You should get excited about him because I think that the jump that he made this year was pretty spectacular. Like, I mean, you know, his production is never going to blow you away. I don't think he's going to be a guy that puts up a ton of points, but he's going to be a guy that plays 22 minutes a game. You know, like he's going to be a guy that can be a top pairing you know, top, top four defensemen for you and play tough matchups. He's a, he's an incredible skater, you know, so he's, he's, he's got some physicality. He's got decent size. He's, you know, he's, he's not a big, like he's certainly not big, but he's so like, he's solid. He's strong. Um, His footwork is phenomenal. I mean, his, his, his defensive footwork is unbelievable. Um, And that's one of the things that makes him so difficult to play against. And so, you, you know, you see him take jumps, every single year. So, you know, last year, obviously playing with Jake Sanderson, Jake Sanderson's going to get all the minutes, um, you know, playing at the national team development program and deserved to. Uh, but Brock Faber was a guy that could play those tough matchups. He, he angled guys so well, like that. One of the things that I learned watching that team, that, that NTDP team and watching Tyler Clevin, Jake Sanderson, Brock Faber in particular, um, they had a really good decor was just their, their ability to, just kill rushes like they were so good at it because all of them you know all of them could skate and and or they had size or range and I think Faber was one of those guys that just could do everything you know he could do everything you need him to and this year he was essentially a top pairing defenseman for Minnesota as a true freshman and they play you know they play on Olympic sheet you know they're they're a, right. um you know and so he's got to be a great skater played a lot with Ryan Johnson and those two guys were really difficult to play against. I think that's a big reason that Minnesota was as good as they were throughout the season. Um, but yeah, but he's a guy that, you know, you're never going to, the, the points are never going to make him a darling, but I think the, the, he's just a pro, like he plays like an NHL player right now. And I, and I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, isn't he the, almost like the prototypical modern defenseman, really. I mean, it used to be years ago where you want your defenseman to be the huge guy who's going to lay out guys coming across the ice and throw those big open ice hits. Uh, nowadays, they, the, the more or less the modern defenseman has got to be fast, has to be agile, 
And it's not really so much about physicality, even though that's not gone, but it's about playing the angles and about the stick checks. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, we see a lot more defending from the side as opposed from defending in front. Like, you know, you, you got to be able to get a shoulder on a guy. You got to be able to knock him off the puck. Um, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, players like that. I mean, I think like one of the guys that I've watched a lot that just is like elite at defending from the side is is Duncan Keith. And I think so many players started copying that that um, that, you know, that they basically were like, oh, well, if I can, you know, they, that's how I'll defend the rush. That's how I'll defend other things like that. Like those are the different things that they do. I think the other thing with with Faber is you know, his just his defensive intelligence is at a level that most most young players can't get to. Like he's detailed. So, you know, he, he he the way that, you know, if he's got somebody facing the wall, he'll find a way to keep them facing the wall, essentially. You know, like he he basically right. he gives them no outlet. Um, and so he's one of those players that took me a while. Like I think on my on my last draft ranking, I think I had him, you know at the end of the second round, maybe even the third. And I didn't really learn to appreciate him until I saw him away from the environment that he was in, where he was basically second fiddle to, to Jake Sanderson. And then I was like, Oh, wow. Watching him at the world juniors this year, watching him, you know, at, at, at the various things that he's, that he did. I mean, the world juniors was just, that was the revelation where I was like, okay, all right, I see it. And then I watched a lot more Minnesota and I was like, Oh boy. Okay. So I missed that one. <laughs> Um, because, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, cause he's, he's just one of those guys where, you know, he had 12 points this year, he had 12 points last year, you know, like he's, he's, but he moves pucks well and he, he does a lot of great things. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about him. I think that, you know, you look at Mikey Anderson and all the different defensemen that are in the system. I think there's a lot of similar players, but you know, I think Faber has got a chance to be pretty special. So, Chris, speaking of the World Juniors, uh, obviously, you know, the Kings were pretty well represented there uh, through a number of different countries. Uh, first of all, what were your thoughts on uh, Alex Turcotte? I, you know, I think Turcotte was was really solid. Like, he didn't have, like, a blow-you-away tournament. Like, you say, oh, well, this guy's definitely the number five overall pick. But he ends up having a really strong tournament, came up big in some of their biggest games, made plays throughout the tournament um you know played tough i think uh was it the the late goal by um by kaliev that i'm pretty sure he assisted on you know where he's he spots him and it's just like it's a play and tra- and it, he makes the play and puts it on a tee for Artie and it's it's an arty party and <laughs> um which is i mean it's always an arty party um but <laughs> but yeah but that was you know that was pretty good so i mean like you know you look at obviously Zegris and you see the different, you know, you see Caulfield, you see some of those players and they step up in different ways. You know, I think that Alex is rediscovering his game. And I think that that world juniors was a first step for him. And then it took him a while in the AHL to get going too. But I think overall, you know, 8.7 games, that's a really good tournament for, for most players. It's, you know, certainly comparable to some of the other, top end players that played last year and and they won a gold medal and he he wore a letter on a gold medal team. I mean, so I think that there's a lot of respect for him, his competitiveness. Um, I think that his skill is starting to show, I mean, like what AHL player of the week last week, you know, so he's starting to get the production to to come along with it. 
you know, watching him at, at, at Wisconsin, he never looked right to me. I just, I didn't know what was going on with him. Um, and I thought that, you know, it was, it was concerning because I was like, this is not the same guy. This is and same thing at the world juniors. It was really tough. The world juniors that year. And then I think that he kind of exercised a lot of those demons in that world junior this year. And then has, has started to put it all together at the AHL level now too. So I think he's on a really good track. You know, is he, is, is that draft pick in hindsight going to look better against Caulfield and Zegers? I don't know. You know, I mean, it could, he, I'm not giving up on Alex Turcott by any stretch of the manager. I still think he's going to be a, a high end player at the NHL level, but you know, I mean, that's, that's what you get compared against is the guys that go after you mm-hmm. and you know, that's going to, he's got a bit of an uphill climb, but I I've always had a ton of respect for Alex and I, I still do. Yeah. He just scored a hat trick for the rain. So hopefully starting <laughs> to find his feet a bit at the uh, professional level. Uh, were there any other Kings prospects uh, at that tournament who stood out to you? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Artie was pretty darn good. Um, you know, I think, I think Kelly doing what he did, um, scoring some big goals, you know, he, it was, it was kind of a classic Artie tournament, you know, he'd, he'd go away for a little bit and then he'd come back and he'd score a big goal and you know, he just made some plays and he's just such a threat. I think that he committed more on that team. I feel like he was, you know, trying to do right by the team. Um, you know, obviously Jordan Spence didn't play a ton in the tournament, but when he did, he scored. So that was good. You know, so that's, he's obviously, you know, has some jump, uh, you know, Byfield I thought was very average at that event. I thought I was a little disappointed with, with his game. I thought that, you know, I'm not, obviously it didn't matter. It didn't, you know, it didn't carry over for him because he found a way to, uh, you know, get through the AHL and play really well. And, and, you know, he's a guy that just kind of develops and develops. And, you know, I just think the way that Canada's roster shook out with all the players that were available to him, you know, with Dylan Cousins there, he couldn't play the substantial role that, you know, I think everybody would expect from a number two overall pick. But then he's still, even though he's in his second World Juniors, still one of the youngest guys on the team, you know. So it's like it it, it was always kind of, he was kind of always up against it um, there. Uh, but, you know, I think like Simon Teibel as well, or, you know, I, I think he's really he's really fun to watch and really skilled. Um, you know, I think he made Finland a better team. Um, so, you know, those are some of the, some, some of the guys, obviously Faber, who we already talked about, thought he was awesome. Um, you know, can't, can't say enough about the way that, that he played. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that those are, those are guys that you'll have to continue to watch. And it's just amazing how many, you know, how many guys the Kings have in their system right now that look like, NHL caliber prospects and uh and we saw a lot of them at that at the world juniors um as well and yeah so I mean I don't know who who am I missing I mean I know I'm missing a bunch more Aiden Dudas right oh yeah Chromiak yeah 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 so he's he's a super interesting prospect I mean I think that the one I saw him the year before I was like wow this guy's got a lot of raw ability um you know, just like the skill is there. I just, you know, what is he, what is he going to be ultimately? Um, and I still don't know, honestly, I think there's, there's a lot left to figure out about him. Um, but, you know, I mean, Slovakia, that team, like it's really hard to judge anybody from that group because they're just not very good. Um, they also didn't, they left one of their best players home for disciplinary reasons. Um, 
you know, so uh, that wasn't great. But yeah, I mean, you know, th- those guys are those guys are pretty good. I mean, I, I think that Chromiak is a, is a long-term project regardless of what happens. He's, he's so raw and the skill is there, but you need to be really, really, really patient with him. I mean, the numbers that he put up in Slovakia this year for a player, his age is really good. So you've got, you know, you've got that going for you. I think you get him into the AHL system, give him a chance to be around those guys. And, you know, I think that the, if there's one thing the rain could use for, for guys like Chromiak, Turcotte, Byfield, all of them, whoever's there, you know, probably could use a couple more veterans in the group just to give them a little more support. Um, and, and it's one of the, one of the reasons being is that you can't have all young guys in that league that don't know how to play pro hockey yet. Um, and, and I think that that's actually been one of the, one of the only things where I think the numbers could even be better for some of those guys, if they had other teammates that, you know, know the league a little bit more and could finish off those chances. But, but that's like, once you get Chromiak and guys like that, you know, in your system and they're under your watch, there's so much you can do with them. And so I'm really excited to watch what he does. What do you think about the upside for uh, Lucas Perry? I remember at that tournament, I remember correctly pitched a shutout against Russia in the, uh, he did. Yeah, he did Jack. Pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, a bit of an up and down tournament overall, but do you think there's some upside there? Um, he is a really tough guy to get a handle on. Um, because I think that yes, I think there's upside there for sure. I think you know that, but that's kind of a loaded term, right? Like you don't really know where it's going to go, and it, it's going to require every goalie requires patience. But I, I did watch him in the USHL this year, and I, I, I was kind of like, you know, they won a lot of games, but he didn't make a ton of big saves. Like he, he didn't look great. Like I think, you know, based on what he did in in the check before the world juniors and then coming over, like he was, he was okay. Like he was not very, he, he didn't, he didn't really win Dubuque many games. And so that was kind of surprising to me because that's actually a league where it's typically been tougher to score and scoring his way up across the league this year it was not a good year to be a goalie in the USHL because Players are just scoring tons of points this year. Um, but but he's a guy where I, I say, okay, well, give him time, give him direction, give him development. Um, you know, I think if he was able to have a full season in the WHL, whatever that would have been this year, might have been helpful. But um, but ultimately, he's a guy that you're going to have to be patient with. He's got the size profile. He's got the athletic profile. So all of that is good. It's just a matter of, you know, he, he also had a good season in the WHL last year. And and has and has been a pretty good goaltender overall, so I think that there's a lot of runway for him, and there is upside. But I think he's one that you know, with all goalies, you have to wait and see. There's no surefire number one there. You know, you can't say that yet. But I'd like to see what he looks like. You know, kind of once he gets into the system, and maybe you know, he's probably a guy that you know, if you don't have room for him in the on the AHL roster. You know, you might let him play in Europe again. You might let him play in the ECHL. You know, you kind of have to see where where he fits in the in the organization. But I mean, I think in terms of development and runway, he's got a lot a lot to a lot to go. Now, kind of uh, switching gears here, Chris. I mean, we got three games left in the season. Uh, Kings are obviously not going to the playoffs. Um, just kind of. Uh, I want to get your sense on what you think the Kings need to do this off season um, in order for it to be a success. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, I've obviously been focused more on kind of the draft and, and everything like that. You know, I think that where they're going with their prospect system 
is huge. I think part of part of what they need to do next is, you know, basically, and they've already done it, is really design the plan for these players that are that are the next wave. How do you best support them? What do you need in the organization to to bring them, you know, essentially um, you know, to, to make, to maximize what you have. And you have, you know, it's obviously not, you don't want to rush all those guys to the NHL right away and just throw them to the wolves and say, you know, this is, this is what we have. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, getting, getting guys like, you know, I follow and um, all those other guys under contract, you know, on reasonable deals, like those are great moves. You know, you, they're, they're expiring contracts that they're still going to have to take care of, but, you know, you, you, you obviously every, all of those next signings are going to be with the next wave in mind. And so I think that you you continue to focus on the draft. You know, I think that you, you, you keep doing what you're doing with the prospect system. You keep building it up because as good as the Kings prospect system is, and as excited as we are, not all of those guys are going to be NHL players. It's just, I mean, the odds are against it. It's just Mm -hmm. the way that it is. There's also not room for them. I think that you can also start seeing the Kings explore using the surplus in a trade situation. Obviously the big news today was Jack Eichel is not very happy. <laughs> you know, how does, is that a guy that does he move the needle and get you there? What does that cost? Can you even, does, is, does that work as part of your plan? I'm not saying that the, the Kings are going to do that. I, I don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily know if they would do that because it's, you know, they've kind of got a plan going here. And it's clear. The vision is clear. You know, it's continue to draft. It's continue to to develop players. I mean, you know, I think one of the the big offseason moves that they made was, you know, hiring John Robleski to be the coach for Ontario, a guy that's got a development track record, a guy that, you know, has worked with so many elite players and and has gotten them to another level. And I think, you know, Alex Turcotte had actually played the best hockey I'd ever seen play under under Robleski in that U18 season. So, um, you know, so I think that's kind of, kind of one of the things you got to keep an eye on, but like, I mean, what they've got five picks in the first three rounds, you know, so that's a pretty good place to be, even though this draft isn't the strongest, I think that, you know, they're going to have a pick where they're going to be able to land an impact prospect once again, with that first pick in the lottery range. And then, you know, you just focus on building around that. I think they're on the right track as an organization. Um, you know, you have to decide, do we have the goalie of the future in the, in the organization right now? Is it Cal Peterson? Is it somebody else? Do we need to address that? That might be a situation in this draft too, where you've got Jesper Wallstedt mm-hmm. and Sebastian Casa as two potential first round goaltenders that most believe will be number one goalies in this league. Um, you know, so that's another thing that you explore, but those are the types of things that you kind of have to ask yourself as a, as an organization. But I mean, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the way they've handled themselves as an organization and the, the guys that they find to bring in that, you know, that are affordable, that'll help. And, um, you know, it's just getting some of those other contracts done, deciding what to do with certain guys and, um, you know, maybe moving on from some of those more onerous contracts or whatever you can do to, to kind of move the needle forward and, and create space for the players that you have. But I wouldn't mess too much and I would continue to stay patient if I was Rob Blake. So, you know, speaking of Jack Eichel, I'm just curious, what kind of package do you think it's going to take to get him? Because there's really only a handful of teams that have any kind of cap space and or prospects and draft picks to be able to pull a deal like that off. Yeah, I mean, planet Earth, could you, <laughs> can you, you know, like, I mean, yeah, basically, 
you know, I mean, like the things, the things that you would have to do, like, I mean, I think if let's just use the Kings as an example. And I'm, I'm like, obviously the, con- I think the conversation starts including Byfield. It, it starts including some of those other players. Um, it might be Byfield and Turcotte. It might be, you know, it might be the, you know, I think there's going to have to be NHL players in there too, because you can't just replace Jack Eichel with a package of prospects. You know, it's probably multiple first round picks. Um, it's, it's, it's the, you know, and that's, that's the other thing. Like, I'm just looking up and down here. I'm like, I'm not really sure, you know, what else, what else would move the needle enough for them, you know? And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird to, to see they could send Cal Peterson back to Buffalo as just a, as a good gesture. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be nice to do that. That would not be nice to Cal. Um, but, but yeah, but I mean, basically, you know, that's, it, it's, it's going to take something dramatic, you know, and it, and I think any conversation would start with Byfield being involved in the package. I don't think that, the, I don't think they would move anything without him being in it. Um, and then that's a, that's the decision you have to make as an organization. And honestly, I think that's all of a sudden something you have to think about. The upside of Byfield is phenomenal. I mean, it's, you, you, you basically be trading something that you're hoping for something that you kind of know, in Eichel because, but I mean, Eichel is to me when he's healthy, he's one of the 10 best centers in the NHL. I mean, like, I think that he is a guy that makes any team better and makes, you know, especially if it's a situation where it's a one, two punch of Kopitar Eichel for the next couple of years, that's game changing, you know, and then you have the guys that filter around him. You have guys on entry level contracts that are coming and be impact players. Um, that's when it gets really interesting. So I think that whoever ends up getting him, it's going to be multiple first round picks. It's probably going to be in any, you know, multiple NHL roster players just to make the contract work. And then it's also, you know, I, I could see it being like three team deal, three, you know, trying to work all sorts of things, different places that can eat the cap space. I mean, like there's, there's just a lot of different creative ways that you would have to do it. But, you know, I think in terms of actual package that Buffalo would think about, I think the Kings are one of the teams that have stuff that they would want. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's, it's, it's an, it's an inexact answer, but I I don't think we've seen many trades where you've got a player in his prime that clearly wants out, um, too. So I don't know how that affects the value either. Yeah. And something that'll be interesting to monitor. I mean, I'm sure you read all the quotes that came out from, from Jack today, Chris, um, he still hasn't had the surgery yet. So, I mean, he could potentially miss part of next season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it seems like there's a disconnect between what he wants to do and what the organization wants to do. And that's, that's a problem for any team that's acquiring him. Obviously, I think that, you know, they wanted him to rehab because they wanted him to get back. And then he wanted to have the surgery because he's like, hey, I can't be the best player I can be without it. So that's going to be something interesting as well. Because like, can it happen? Like if the if the Sabres never agree to the surgery, would it happen after a trade? Like, you know, and how does that impact the value? So it's one of the more unique situations. And, and you know, Jack basically, I mean, he lit the Sabres on fire today. He, he basically, yeah. and he, he also, he also, you know, singed a little bit of their leverage too. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you're the Sabres in a lost season like that, why wouldn't you, why would you not let him have the surgery? Just get it over with. Yeah, exactly. I mean. The Sabres. They, 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 I mean. I what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's I don't know. I mean, I'm not the GM, so I, I don't. Well, know. there and there's also the off chance that the Sabers doctor is right, but 
yeah and the saber's been right about like anything like so <laughs> tough call well, tough call shifting gears away from the sabers we don't want to be there we don't want them to <laughs> pump back the entire rest of the show uh we do have a listener question for you and it uh, it comes from augie and he wants to know will the la kings go the trade route or the free agent market for a top four defenseman and which one or more of the king's top prospects does chris believe could be used as a potential trade piece to upgrade the roster mm. wow that's interesting um well, I mean, I think that, yeah, it, I don't know that you want to go big game hunting for a top four defenseman because they're so expensive. Um, and it's, you know, I, 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 the, the thing is though, really, if you look at the, if the, at the defense group that they have as part of this next wave of players, you know, I think, you know, Faber has a chance to be a top four eventually. Um, you know, Granz is very interesting to me, but you know, still has a ways to go. There's nobody that's going to come in soon and do the job. Um, that's, you know, that's just based on what I've seen, you know, in their group. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, you're probably looking at Mikey Anderson being, you know, trying to groom him into being that guy on an everyday basis. And, um, you know, it's Bjorn Foot's not there yet. Uh, you know, so there's a lot that you have to kind of wait on. And I, I think it's, you know, I, I definitely don't think that the free agency route's the way to go. The 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 trade the trade is interesting. I mean, I think that there's potentially things out there, especially with the cap being what it is, teams being a, a scared of, you know, the the uh, the the expansion draft and different things. I think that certain things are going to be available around the um, uh, around the draft. I think if you're going to look at trading, you know, trading defensemen that have, you know, at, at that would actually get you something back. I mean, I think that it's, it's, it'd be really hard to see, you know, a lot of these guys, I think everybody would want favor, you know, like if they wanted, if there was like a legit, there was like a legit trade to be had. I mean, you know, maybe it's Clegg, maybe it's, you know, can we, can we give you a Kale Clegg? Can we give you a Sean Dursey? You know I mean? Like those are guys that have interest, um, you know, yeah, but it'd be really tough because really some of these other guys like Daniel Brickley, you know, not a lot of value there. Um, some of the other guys, you know, not a lot of value just because they're they're younger prospects that don't that that aren't nobody really knows for sure what they're going to be yet. Um, so yeah, so it's really tough to say. I mean, I think that you know some of the interesting guys they have, um, yeah, and Kim Nosyan, and again, I that's another guy where you know you could potentially if you you'd probably rather have him but you know you could potentially move him as well while his value is pretty high as a, as a guy that did it had a really nice season in in Europe so and those are different things that you can consider but i mean i think that mostly you know you try to stay the course as best you can unless something else comes out and i'm not you know i haven't gotten really up on the uh on the defense trade market for like what it's going to look like coming out of this season but you know there're probably going to be some guys there that are on you know, that need to get rid of contracts or, you know, whatever, you know, that could be options that, that might be stop gaps. I think the Kings are still in stop gap territory right now where you find guys that, that get you through for a year or two. And then you have, you know, then you have Brock Faber, then you have Helgi grounds, then you have, you know, different guys that are, that are going to be able to step into those roles when they're ready. Then you have one hell of a trading camp in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like it's, yeah, you can't keep all of them. That's the other thing. Like, you know, especially, if you want to free up contracts and things like that too, you know, there's, 
there are other guys that can just kind of go. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all shakes out. Yeah, we've kind of talked about that before on here. You know, uh, <laughs> if they bring up everybody at once, uh, not going to have a chance to stagger those ELCs. So, I mean, something's got to give there. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going after stop gaps. That's actually what Carolina did really effectively. They went with stopgap defensive. They were like signing James Wisniewski and players like that, where it was just like, just get us through until Brett Pesci is ready, until Jacob Slavin is ready. And then now they have one of the best decors in the league. So, so you're know. telling me that Olimata is leading to something better. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> someday. Someday. Yes. Someday. Yes. <laughs> So, so real quick, Chris. I mean, I know I mean, we don't want to take up all your your whole night here, but nah, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, give us a, a quick overview. Uh, who do you think are the best defenseman prospects in this upcoming draft? Um, well, I mean, that, that's the good news is that there's a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of great defensemen in this draft. It starts with Owen Power. I think he's number one. I know that there's a little debate about whether it should be Power, whether it should be Edvinson, whether it should be Brant Clark. Uh, I just saw Brant Clark and Simon Edvinson. I don't think either of them are going to go ahead of, of Owen Power based on what I've seen so far. Um, I think that Power is, at, at, you know, it's not just his size. It's his size, mobility, his hockey sense, his shot, his, his you know, his ability to defend. Um, the way that he improved over the course of his, you know, his two seasons in the USHL going into his college season this year at Michigan. Um, you know, I think he's a top pairing defenseman. You know, that's, his, uh, that's a ceiling. He'll be a top pairing guy. Um, you know, worst case, he's a really good three, I think, um, you, you know, and I think this draft is fair. Edvinson is probably one of the more interesting guys just because he's, he's, he's similar in size to power, but he's got a little more runway developmentally in terms of he's just very raw. He's super skilled. He's got good feet, you know, so those, those guys are interesting for their size and their skill. Um, you know, to me, I think Luke Hughes is very much in the discussion with Owen power as a, as a top a top guy, you know, he, he, he's, he did not play in the U18 worlds cause he had a skate cut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sounds like everything went well with, you know, he had to get it fixed and, um, he's, he's going to be fine. It was a foot, uh, injury. Um, but you know, he's a guy with, I think is a top five plot, top five prospect in this draft. I really like him. Um, he gives you more dynamic element on the back end. He's a super dynamic skater. Like, so he's, he, he skates like Quinn. Um, but, he's six foot two and, you know, has a little more range and is a little, a little better defensively. He's still not, you know, he doesn't take a lot of D zone draws. He's not on their PK. So, you know, but, but as we saw at this tournament, that U S team is a completely different team with him in the lineup than without him. And so I think he's a big difference maker in that way. Um, Another guy that developed under John Robleski too. Yeah, exactly. He had Luke for as a U 17 and, you know, he had all three Hughes brothers, uh, the way they were staggered, it just worked out that he got to coach each of them for at least one season and had Jack for two. And, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement about what Luke can be. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's also one of the youngest players in this draft class. Yeah. So, so there's like a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, great, you know, great development ahead of him. And the fact that, you know, we saw, Quinn grow over two years at Michigan where Luke is heading. I think you're going to see a similar kind of progression for Luke. Um, even though I think Quinn ultimately will be the better of the two long-term, I think he was a little bit further ahead than Luke is right now in some ways. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting kind of 
thing to think about. But then there's Brant Clark. There's, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others, you know, like, but Brant Clark, I mean, those, those four guys that I mentioned are super high end draft prospects for, for defensemen. And then further down, you got guys like Lambos, Corson Kuhlemans, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. Um, so those are, those are kind of some of the, the names to, to be on the lookout for, at least in the lottery range. And Chris, you just mentioned the name, but let's say the Kings don't get as lucky as they do in the draft lottery this year on June 2nd. Um, currently, they're kind of around the 10th slot in the draft. Are you, are you taking Carson Lambos or are you taking best player available? I'm I'm taking the best player available. I, I think that there's too much value. I think that, especially in the top 10 this year, you know, if you end up in the 10 spot, you're you have you still have a good chance at landing one of those defensemen. You know, one of those guys is going to slip. Um, it's not, you know, hundred percent for sure, but like I could very easily see, especially based on the way that he played at the World Under 18s, Edmondson has a lot of work to do. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, you're not getting a guy that's NHL ready at number ten anyway, so you might as well take the shot on the upside there based on what he's done and, you know, let him stay in Sweden for another season and then bring him over after that and, and be, you know, pretty happy with the guy that you have. I don't think he played like a top five pick. And so I, I, you know, I just have a hard time seeing teams taking the risk at a five with, with a guy like him. Um, I think there's just a little, you know, there's upside, but it's not, he's certainly not a finished product. Um, So yeah, so he'd be interesting. If, if he gets there, him or Clark, you know, Clark's got some skating issues that could cause him to slip, but he's a highly intelligent defenseman and was really good for Canada, you know, but again, it's just neither of those guys looked like top 10, like locks for me or top five locks for me. Um, I know other people that feel differently, but I, I didn't see it. So, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, but still best player available, you think other guys that could be there, um, you know, just Mason McTavish, who just had a phenomenal you know, game or tournament for, for Canada, you know, I think he's getting into that top 10 discussion. Um, maybe there's, you know, maybe you really like one of the Swedes like Fabian LaSalle who, who had a great, great mm-hmm. tournament um, or, you know, I, I don't think William Eklund will fall that far, but yeah, there are a lot of guys that are in that range that can give you more value. Like Lambos is, is a real wild card because he's, he was sick. Or, or injured. We don't really know what happened, but he left his team as soon as he got back from the WHL, played two games, and that was it. Yeah. Uh, was very underwhelming in Finland, which, I mean, I grade that with a take that with a grain of salt because it's a player outside of his own environment. Um, so, yeah, but that's, that's kind of, there's a lot of things to unpack in, in him. If you're, I just think there's way too much risk there to use a top 10 pick on him. I think the last time I checked on him too, uh, Carson Lambeau said is I think he's back in the WHL and he had like 24 points through his thirst through his uh, first 12 games or something like that. Something crazy. Um, did he come back? Cause I, that might've happened. Cause I, I don't think he's played for, I might be thinking of a different prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, yeah, I think, are you thinking of Dylan Gunther? Maybe. Yeah, that's what it is. Excuse yeah, me. So Sorry. Gu- yeah, so Gunther Gunther came back. Yeah, Gunther, once the WHL started, he he had he had eight points through the first four games, and then he was like twelve through five. It was it was crazy. So he was he was very good. Yeah, um, misremembering. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Lambos was like Batman. He just disappeared into the night. So yeah, like I mean, uh, really, still don't know like what the status is of him. You know, he he didn't finish the WHL season. We don't know when when you know what the status is. So, um, and then just kind of uh, as we kind of close here, just if there's one player in the first round that you would consider to be a steal, offensively or defensively, who would that player be? Mm. I think. That's an interesting one. Um, hmm, a steal. So, to me, like, I, I haven't really become too enamored with this draft class <laughs> as I have with others. I think part of it's part of it's not being able to be in the rinks. Part of it's you know just the way way things have have kind of gone this year. Um, you know, I think that I think Isaac. Uh, yeah, that's who I'll go with. I'll go with Isaac Rosen, who is another Swedish forward, incredible speed, not as dynamic as LaSalle, but a, a just a gamer. He scored seven goals in the under-18 worlds this year, which is the most the Swedish player has ever scored. Like His last goal was an end-to-end blistering rush where he split the Finnish defenders that had no chance at stopping him, just turnstiled them both. And beat the goalie with a, with a great move and release. And I think that his skill is, is not as, as, as apparent as, as a LaSalle, who is a a great stick handler, but, but Rosen is strong, fast. Um, He has some edge to his game. He's got a good shot. So, you know, I think that he's a guy that could end up being a bit underappreciated. You know, I, I personally have always had him in, in the first round for this year. Um, but I think there are, there are people that think, you know, he could be a second rounder or, 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 you know, if he slips to the second round, I mean, that's, that'll be a huge steal for whoever gets him, but I don't think he'll slip that far. I think, you know, and I still think he's probably going to end up in, you know, as a lower, maybe the latter third of the first round. And I think that's a great value for a player like him. And then just the last question. And um, Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast tonight. It's been um, more information than I could ever digest. <laughs> uh, but just the last question I want to ask you, I mean, just a prediction, who do you think wins the Stanley cup this year? Man. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. Cause I, you know, I've, I've kind of disconnected from the NHL a little bit more, but I mean, I think that based on what I've seen, I like, I, I still really like, you know, if they're healthy, I still really like Colorado. I think they've got a really great chance to do something special. Their speed is, is difference making, you know, if you have a healthy Nathan McKinnon, if Philip Grubauer is still playing incredibly well, you've got Kale McCarr playing at such a high level. Um, I think they're in the mix. It might be a little early for them. They might be a little bit ahead of schedule. You know, like maybe the maybe it's not this year, but it'll be next year in their their window. Maybe they're the ones that win the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. Um, <laughs> oh boy! You know, for, yeah, that, that'd be crazy. Um, but you know, like. <laughs> You know, you look at you look at kind of what they've done, and I, I I just think that Colorado. I mean, you guys have probably seen them even a lot more than I have with them being in the West. But um, you know, I still like what they bring to the table. I think Vegas is a hard team to knock off as well. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, is just not having like a, a set bracket for this right. this championship. So, you know, I don't think any of the teams from the North will get past the conference finals. <laughs> um, but I could, I could be wrong, but I, I don't see how they beat like a, even like a Florida or, a, you know, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, any of those teams, I, I, I would pick them. So uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. We'll go Carolina, Colorado in the final. Ooh, 
I like it. And, wow. I, and don't and if you if you read other things from me later when I have more time to think about it, um, <laughs> I apologize for you now. So don't make any bets off of this yet. Um, but I'll go Carolina, Colorado, Colorado champion, and I'll change my mind soon. We're gonna save the receipts, Chris. <laughs> save the receipts, and you say, "Well, he said it here first, but it's yeah. until I, until I write it on paper." It's not official. It's not official. So, this is all just a rough draft. Don't so worry about nobody it. write this. Nobody write this on the Google Doc. Because yeah. then it'll be, yeah. <laughs> we can't be responsible for lost best people. That's it. <laughs> That's so, right. Chris, uh, before you go, let us know how, uh, let our listeners know where you can find Hockey Sense and um, sure. how to subscribe. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I've had a blast. And, yeah, it's always great to talk prospects, and certainly the Kings have a lot of them. But uh, for for anybody that wants to check it out, um, my my podcast is Talking Hockey Sense. It's available pretty much wherever you get podcasts. Um, the website is hockeysense.substack.com. You can also get there by going to chrispetershockey.com. And those are it's a it's a subscription based service, but there is a free email sign up that you can get in, and there is content that goes to that monthly. Um, but if you want the full draft rankings, prospect rankings. I'll have system rankings um, later in the summer as well, or probably, you know, soon after the, the AHL season is over. Um, we'll do, uh, we'll do prospect rankings and for drafted players and for system rankings, which I'm sure Kings fans will want, but that that's, you can subscribe at hockeysense.substack.com. And then, yeah, just on Twitter at Chris M Peters, um, always, putting news and notes and all kinds of things and all the links to everything I write is there. So that's, uh, that's it. So thanks for letting me uh, plug all my, all my various wares. Well, you're certainly a very busy guy, but we do appreciate you taking the time to come out and talk. Absolutely. Chris. Yeah, no, this is, Hey, this is my, this is my pleasure. I mean, I'll talk hockey all day with anybody. So, uh, uh, but I mean, especially if they ask nicely, and, and, you guys, and you guys did so i appreciate that um but it was really fun to fun to do this yeah well we'll have, have you back out again maybe after the draft we'll uh, we'll see who the winners and losers are all right so, <laughs> sounds good sounds good just do it after i write it down so that, yeah. that I, you yeah, can right. hold me to it yeah yeah all right all right well thanks a million chris we appreciate it and my pleasure thanks for having me guys yeah thanks chris thanks chris yeah. see ya take care that was chris peters from hockey sense what a great guy that was, that was a really fun conversation right there. That was fantastic. That really was. And, you know, Ryan, we uh, we did have our poll that we want to talk we about. We had our we poll. Remember, yeah. I backed everybody into a corner here, but we got to have a poll for every show now, right? So thank you for putting that out there for me, by the way, because I sure. almost forgot about it. So anyways, the poll question was, would you like the Kings to package a trade for Jack Eichel? This was on our Twitter feed at Rink Royalty. It's still going, too, by the way. Is it? <laughs> yeah, oh, for well. the six days or whatever. Yeah, well, after 163 votes, 55% of the fans say no. Absolutely wow. not. So, Trusting the process, huh? That's yeah. right. I guess so. <laughs> you know, and honestly, I mean, I just don't know that Jack Eichel's the right fit, to be perfectly honest with you. At some point, whether it's on Eichel or it's on someone else, and a player like Eichel doesn't come available very often at this stage of his career, but I think Rob Blake is going to have to take a pretty big swing at some point here. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, would you 
rather trust the process on the offensive side and go after a big left shot defenseman this offseason? Yeah, I mean, that that could be the better way to go about things. You know, you could bet between all these center prospects and forward prospects you have that in a couple of years you should be good there. And, and, and yeah, maybe maybe the big swing is you want to take it on defense. You're right. Interesting. Very interesting. Because, you know, I got to think when we were talking with Chris about, you know, like Brock Faber, you know what? I mean, the Kings have a lot of the same defensemen. Yeah, they really do. You know, Brock Faber, Mikey Anderson, Tobias Bonefoot. They're basically all the same, you know, I mean, and it's a good thing, you know, but they just don't have that, that dynamic guy that can eventually take over for Drew Doughty is the, is the, yeah, they don't have a left shot in Drew Doughty right now. Exactly. (laughs) And you know what? They're not going to find anybody who can chirp like him. So you might as well just forget about that. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That complete Doughty package is going to be tough to find. That's right. Well, guys, I think uh, we, I think this is the longest we've ever gone on our podcast. Actually. It has. We should uh, let's just filibuster for the next two hours. Yeah, I know, right? Got, got the dictionary open. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, before we go, Ryan, why don't you tell us about our next show coming up? Oh, so yeah, on Thursday we're going to have the AHL, and he also writes for EP Rinkside. Uh, Patrick Williams is uh, covering uh, the rain, obviously, this year. So we're excited to talk. Uh, with him a little bit more about the guys that uh, we can't wait to see in the the NHL soon. Awesome. Very awesome. And that's going to be a fun show too, because I mean, the Raiders really come on as of late. So they have, I want to ask him about the the AHL playoffs because uh, the, the rain will be done at that point, I believe. So we'll kind of know their seating and stuff like that. So. Well, at least they get to go to a playoff though. Unlike the the other four divisions in the AHL. And and the Kings. Yeah. Well, that's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) <laughs> one of our teams gets in. Okay. <laughs> Hell, man. Well, the NHL, they just let everyone in, like the AHL division, right? Then, yeah. Then yeah. The to the cut. yeah, why not? <laughs> Where is that playing when you need it this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, folks, I think that's uh, that's about all the time we've got for tonight. But uh, we want to thank Chris Peters for coming on again. That was a, a really fun conversation. We hope he'll come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for Ryan Stikes, for Jack Weber, I'm Scott Kinville. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you Thursday night. And go Kings go.